welcome to the Bloke and the Bird Show, or as the boys over at Car Talk say, ha, we're back. Well, I think we should probably apologize. The weather was too nice last weekend. It, it was arguably one of the nicest weekends that we have had so far. It was so nice that we actually grabbed the TV and the Apple TV and set it up on the deck and watched the race on the deck. Yes. Which might be why there was no show last week. Yeah. <laughs> now, I don't know if you had this phenomenon occur in your office, but Monday morning after such a gloriously beautiful weekend where everybody and all of the people that are fair-skinned in Cleveland were outside, we were full of sunburned people in my office. No, not so much in my office. Yeah, I would round a corner and all you would see was the white rings of where their sunglasses were. (laughs) (laughs) Everything else was red. There was a lot of sun burning. Well, before we talk about the race, because we will talk about the race, it's definitely worth talking about. It was one of those weekends. We got some other stuff to talk about first. Well, we got to catch up on two whole weeks. We've missed you guys. Yeah. So let's start off with word that Marusha and Manor are in a trademark dispute over the 2015 car. Aren't they the same people? No. Oh. No. Not not at all. Especially now, there's no relation between them. Now, Who trademarked M? No, it's not the M. Oh, okay. What we know, because Marusha is a Russian car company, sports car company, that has never actually produced a car. But it is a Russian sports car company. But what we know is that Marusha filed documents that said that that they licensed the trademark to Manor to use as its Formula One team and chassis name, but that that the uh, license came to an end on December 31st of 2014. Okay. Okay. Um, It added that Manor continued to use Marusha as the name of its Formula One team and chassis for the for 2015 after the outfit was saved from bankruptcy. If Manor changed its chassis name from Marusha without consent from F1's commercial rights holder, i.e. Bernie, it would lose its entitlement to prize money based on previous seasons. Ah. And they had an entitlement that year. Now, Manor has defended the claim on five grounds. First, they suggest that Marusha impliedly consented to the use of the trademark. It added that Marusha e-stopped, which means that it's barred. I didn't. This is legal terms, uh, but it said that that Marusha e-stopped from asserting its rights as owner of the trademark. Thirdly, it said that the use of the trademark did not give rise to any quote likelihood of confusion on the part of the relevant public for the purpose of Article Nine Point One B of the Community Trademark Re- Regulation, which I'm assuming means that nobody had heard of Marusha if it wasn't for the team. Well, that's the question that has to be really answered is, did it do any harm to a sports car company that has yet to produce any sports cars? Well, Manor went on and added that the trademark does not have a reputation in the community for the purpose of Article 9.1c of the aforementioned regulation. And its fifth defense, its fifth and final defense, said that its use of the trademark constituted use of its own name in accordance with honest practices for the purposes of Article 12 of said regulation. Just throwing it out there. Um, it, it's, I, I guess, some some legal officials knowledgeable of Europe or, or English law or wherever this is filed uh, say that it's improbable that the trademark defenses under Article 9 and 12 would succeed. Mm. 
So we will see how this plays out. But you got to kind of wonder of if they lose this, does that mean that the prize money's forfeit as well, or is that bus sailed? That ship sailed, rather. That bus left the station, train gone. Yeah. The bus has sailed. We're now floating buses. Yes. Um. Well, okay. In hey, in Florida, they've got the bus boat. Well, there's that. It, okay, but wait. In order to collect the prize money, they had to have used the Marusha name and with that with unless they got permission from the commercial rights holder, which they obviously didn't get. They used the Marusha name in 2015. Mm-hmm. Therefore. This is where it gets good. Therefore, what they could wind up with is not forfeiting the prize money because they would have gotten the prize money because they didn't change the name, but they may in turn owe money to the Marusha name for illegal use of their trademark. Yeah. So, and it wouldn't surprise me if those two numbers were dang close to equal less lawyer fees. Yeah, so we'll see how that that whole thing pans out. So last time we had a show, we had talked that there was a rumor flying over the future of Sauber and a possibility of a tie-up between Fiat Chrysler uh, and that group and Alfa Romeo group and Sauber as a bailout, and that would be the return of Alfa Romeo to Formula One. Right. Well, Sergio Marchionne came out and said, "Yeah, no, that, that we're not doing that." Okay. What what he has said is that um, it will do so either as part of the actual Fiat Chrysler organization or somehow in a tie up with Ferrari itself. Um, when he was asked further about the the spec speculation regarding it uh sergio marchioni said there are perhaps other alternatives for alpha if they wanted to come back into the right into the sport it is a very close cousin of ferrari and you should start looking at your family first before you start looking outside hmm. so it's been about 31 years since uh, alpha was last in formula one it competed as a works team between 1979 and 1985 didn't win any races though Aww. um before that Nino Farina and Juan Manuel Fangio used Alfa Romeo cars to win the first two F1 World Championships in 1950 and 51. Mm. Um, It was an engine supplier from 76 to 79 with Brabham, um, and that partnership brought uh, Nicky Lauda two Grand Prix wins in 78. So, in the lead-up to uh, the, the race in China, there was a lot of talk on social media. The dinner scene round the world. Oh, my. <laughs> Where we first got word of it was actually from Nico Rosberg, ah. who posted a picture of all the drivers in the restaurant gathered around the table with the hashtag Racing United, or in other words, hashba- or in Bernie's words, hashtag Windbags United. Well, that's right, because uh, Bernie had just called the drivers big windbags. Yeah. Um, now, let's see. What was it? 17 or 18 drivers? 17 drivers. Uh, gathered together, cross teams, just got together at an Italian restaurant um, to hang out, have fun, talk about girls. I don't know. Well, you know, from Daniel Ricardo and his discussion and, and – talk about the dinner he said um we're not very well organized but it was good 
It was Italian. So we're in China eating Italian. But I am <laughs> never going to turn down Italian. It was nice. Sure, we discussed a little bit of racing, but it was more just to catch up and hang out. At the track, we talk on driver's parades and a little bit here and there, but a lot of people at the track do not want to associate too much because it's race time and they want to be in their zone. So each to their own. But I felt that when you are away from the track, no one is in team kit. You are in your own clothes, your own space, and we just talked. I know I'm not the youngest guy in F1 anymore, but hearing some stories from the older guys, I still felt quite young at the dinner. It was good. A few good stories were shared. I had Lewis, Jensen, Nico Rosberg, and Hulkenberg. That was sort of our little group at the end of the table. It was a good discussion. A bit of banter between Lewis and Nico. It was all harmless, but at the same time, you know that you know that are taking a little shot at each other here and there. It was quite good. I enjoyed it. How many times did he say that it was quite good? Well, it was quite good. It was quite good. You know, I don't think anybody's going to think that Ricardo is um, prosaic (laughs) by any stretch of the imagination. Now, why was this the dinner that was heard around the world? Well, before we get there, you know, she mentioned there were a few folks who were not there. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, Jolie and Palma were at a PR event. Actually, Jolie and Palma and Kevin Magnuson were both at a PR event. Um, Roman Grosjean had an engagement with Haas. Um, he was doing a cooking show. And Kimmy didn't show up at all. He probably got stuck in the bar. Well, he, he was asked about it at a press conference, and he, repri- he replied, maybe next time. I don't regret, regret anything. I had my work to do, and it goes way far forward in front place rather than dinner. You have to ask the people who were there what happened. I was in Taiwan. Draw your own conclusions. So Lewis was asked about the bill and how that went. The bill was split 17 ways. Lewis said it was absolutely ridiculous. So he was asked, you know, whose idea it was to split the bill? He said he was pretty sure it was Nico. It was Nico. <laughs> it was actually Nico. Now, the reservations at the restaurant, the restaurant was chosen and the reservations made were made by Lewis. Yeah. Lu- Lewis he ex- organized. Lewis thing. explained that he chose the restaurant. He put the deposit down and paid on top of that and shared the bill. He said it was a bit ridiculous because everyone was like, how are we going to pay the bill? And someone said to share it, which, you know, he then said was Nico. So we had 17 drivers sharing the freaking bill, but it probably wasn't even that expensive. I did say, why don't one or two of us get it now, and then next time someone else, and then they were like, no, no, I want to pay individually. We all got a receipt, 17 receipts, 17 credit cards. It was the most ridiculous (laughs) thing I've ever seen. I've never seen anything like it before. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of makes you want to go out with, like, 17 of your closest friends and all ask for separate checks just because. Yeah. So, yeah, perhaps this whole thing was that they were feeling a little stung by Bernie when he accused that the drivers never pay the bill when he takes them out for dinner. I don't know. Well, if I was taken out to dinner by Bernie, I wouldn't pay the bill either. (laughs) So this week with the race. Yes. Finally, after two races and everybody screaming and yelling and arguing and complaining, qualifying changed. Yes. Finally. It, our nightmare over qualifying, it's over, right? You think? What? Over? Did you say over? Nothing is over until we decide it is. Was it over when the Germans bombed Pearl Harbor? Hell no! German? Forget it, he's rolling. And it ain't over now. 
Yeah, it's really not over. Because as part of that agreement, as part of that agreement, it was decided to continue to evaluate and look at other options to change the entire weekend for 2017. Okay. Why this needs to be done, I don't know. I mean, granted, you can't necessarily take the first three races of the season and say, see, everything is fixed, we're good. Mm -hmm. But if anything that we should have learned from this is that at the very least, qualifying's in good shape. It works. We don't need to mess with qualifying. Now, Lewis has come out, and he has said that um, F1 should use 2016 to experiment with formats because Lewis wants change. Well, Lewis wants change because Lewis isn't doing so great. He says that, um, you know, after this, he feels like uh, F1 leadership shouldn't be scared to try things. We've gone back to the same qualifying rule, which we already should have done in the last race after Australia, but then it was failure in the second one, which we knew it would be. No new ideas have come out, which is not great. I think we should use this year as an opportunity to come up with some ideas and test some things which have a small implication on the race weekend. If the fans saw that we tried another new format and it didn't work, sure, they may not like it, but they would at least know that we are trying and we are in that development phase for next year. I don't know about this. Well, in a way, it just sounds like Lewis is going, okay, well, 2016 is not going to be that great. Let's play with everything and play with it. At least give it a race to see if it works. It doesn't work. Keep what shakes out. But I'm not sure that the pinnacle of motorsport should be playing with their rules. Well, to some, you should to some extent. You know, as technologies change, change and as there are developments in various aspects, yes, there should be changes to the technical rules. Mm -hmm. And sometimes in response to changes that need to happen on the technical side, there should potentially be changes in the sporting rules. But a wholesale change just for the sake of spicing up the show and improving the show, that I'm against. That I don't agree with. Well— and that's what we're talking that that's what they're trying to do. Well, you and I are completely in agreement of one voice in this matter mm -hmm. that playing with the show makes Formula One equal to WWE. Yeah. And I have a fundamental issue with that. I don't mind the fact that things evolve over time and the regulations have to change and technologies have to move, but the fundamental concept of the fastest man crosses the finish line first. We don't need to artificially invent that. The other thing is I think some of these rules, so, some of these ideas are being done not because they need to be done, but because this is Bernie and now Jean Todd possibly listening to Bernie trying to exert control over the sport because they feel that things have gotten away from them. Well, I think it's, I think it's a power struggle. And I firmly believe that there is a vocal minority of people that are going change for change's sake. Now, I, I don't know all of the details of what they're – and we're going to talk about the 2017 technical rules later. Mm -hmm. But the latest formats and discussions and areas that, that they want to go I, – I, I don't know what they are. However – we do have some very exclusive audio. You will only hear this here of Jean Todd's recent comments to the World Motorsports Commission as he is trying to drive forward change. 
exclusive that you will only hear here. Pluto's right. Psychotic, but absolutely right. We gotta take these bastards. Now, we could fight them with conventional weapons. That could take years and cost millions of lives. No, no, no. No, in this case, I think we have to go all out. I think this situation absolutely requires a really futile and stupid gesture be done on somebody's part. We're just the guys to do it. Let's do it. I'm pretty sure that's how it went down. <laughs> All I can imagine <laughs> is the news the news site in our local area that reenacted the uh one of the corruption oh, trials. Oh, the, the with Jimmy Demore corruption trial with Muppets. <laughs> with, with, with puppets, yes. Um so this was the dramatization of, <laughs> of what uh, what actually went down. The exclusive dramatization <laughs> of what went down at um, the World Motorsports at, Council. Yes. <laughs> so you are suggesting that Jean Todd is pushing for a things. stupid and futile gesture. Yes. <laughs> yes. All righty. Is that not what we have had so far? No, it is exactly Stupid what we... futile gestures. It's exactly what we have had before. I mean, I'm not surprised if they don't start going to the uh, bloke and the bird list of things to spice up Formula One in the worst possible ways. Possibly. The tires will be replaced with aluminum foil. Oh. <laughs> hey, you know, Nico, as we get into the race, we're just going to get it out right now. Nico Rosberg, three in a row. Congratulations. Five in a row. To- no, six in a row. This is now six in a row for him. Puts him in very rare error. There are very few drivers that managed to win six races in a row. Um, we have direct from Nico his secret to why he has been so successful, in particular this season. Direct from Nico. Well, I think, in fact, there is a big, um, a big difference. At home last year, I had uh, you know just uh, two hands crossing the fingers. Now... There's four hands, They're albeit, albeit very, very small hands, but there's four, like, really intensely crossing the fingers. And that's a, it's a big extra boost. Aww. <laughs> Aww, he's crediting his success to his wife and his very tiny jar. <laughs> very sweet, Nico. Occasionally, you actually prove to be a, you know, a sweet guy. Well, you know, it was last year in Monaco, he, he realized that he really needed his wife in the pit lanes, even though she was very pregnant, because when she was at the track, he would win. Correct. And so, so they were know. looking at whether or not they could have a birthing suite in the uh, yeah. Mercedes garage. Um, he uh, also tweeted out this past week um, a picture of the young Nico Rosberg playing with tiny little toy F1 cars <laughs> and said that his secret to being able to um, 
perform without the radio chatter was that he had been practicing this since he was very little. Yes, yeah, see, I question that, considering the number of times he asked for band information last year. I know. So, yeah, I, I don't think so there, but n- nice try. Um, one of the things that he has said that has changed is um, post-race previously, you know, there'd be a party, a celebration for a victory, and he would hang around and he would celebrate into the night and head home the next day. He has not been doing that. The race ends, he finishes up the media commitments, and he is on the first flight back home. He did not stay with the team. Apparently, in China in particular, there tends to be a very big post-race party. Uh, he didn't stay at all for it. He hopped on the first Lufthansa flight and was back home. Wow. Yeah. Well, he's obviously becoming quite the family man. So, moving on to the race. Yes. Pit lane, there was, there was some issues over in the pit lane. We didn't catch this when we were watching, but during qualifying, there was an incident with a uh, Chinese rescue vehicle, which was parked in an odd place in the pit lane. It was parked um, close to the entrance of the pit lane in Q1. Apparently, it was over in the runoff area. Oh, that doesn't seem like a good place to put it. Yeah, it was one of those areas that if you overran the runoff area trying to get into the pit lane, you were going to hit this truck. Not a good parking job. Um, it was something that really ticked off Button. However, Charlie Whiting said that, um, well, the driver of the circuit vehicle that decided to park in a runoff area of the pit entry was rather silly, but he moved it very quickly. Um, the man had been brought in special to drive the pickup that was cleaning the track. Ironically, a new measure this year meant to improve safety by cleaning the track better. <laughs> and it was used to very good effect. But the driver lacked experience and won't do it again. It must be emphasized that this is not a normal runoff area, and the risk was low. However, it was unacceptable nonetheless. <laughs> that means he got chewed out by his boss. Yeah. Now, Jensen also was kind of curious as to why this did not prompt a red flag, considering Nico Hulkenberg spontaneously having a wheel pop off his car did trigger a red flag. Mm. So, But we don't know what the deal was there. Yeah. Very interesting. So there was that, and then there was during the race. This was a race that, well, we watched the Sky Sports coverage, and I think that the best way to describe the coverage during the first 20 or so laps of that race is that it was really easy to believe that you were watching a horse race because it was that kind of this constant commentary of this is happening and this is happening and this is going on and he's over here and then you're over here and then we're back over here and then this happened over here. And, and Rossberg rounds are in turn two and he's in the lead. Yeah. <laughs> oh my, somebody's coming up from the rear. Yeah. They were practicing their Kentucky Derby just a little early. Now, several commentators have turned around, including Gary Anderson, who I know you like a lot, have come out and said that, you know, if Formula One was to go and put out reverse grids, this is what you'd see. Because essentially that's what happened after that safety or during that safety car period, which was crazy in its own right. Mm -hmm. You know, let's start off with this whole incident that happened over in a pit lane with the Force Indias. And um, uh, Filippi Nasser and Sebastian Vettel. Oh, yeah. With Seb jumping around Nasser and Vettel in the pit, or, or Nasser and Hulkenberg in the pit lane so that he could get to his box faster. 
Right. That was just crazy. And it was totally legal Mm -hmm. because apparently until you get to the line, and he did not go all four off. He went half off. Until you get to the line, you're still racing. And he would – this is something, though, that you got to kind of wonder. Mm-hmm. Okay, this this is this whole pileup was caught because Nico Hulkenberg came into the pit slow because somehow he knew that the team was stacking was trying to do a double stack in the pit lane. Right. How did he know that? I don't know. Because I'm not sure that that's something that the team could have radioed in that they were. I mean, maybe they, maybe they could have radioed to him and told him that they were double stacking. Yeah. Maybe they just said box, box, and not box, box, box. Maybe that's the code. But they can't tell a driver to do that now. Right. The driver can tell them that they're pitting, but they can't tell the driver to pit. I I I think. I don't even know because, you know, Lewis made three pit stops during that safety car. So. (laughs) I know. Now, you mentioned that watching the race in the first 20 laps and pretty much throughout the entire race was like – a horse race. Mm-hmm. The leaders were changing. Positions were changing left, right, and center. People were running into people. They were getting new wings. <laughs> they were working on damaged wings. You know, all of those things were happening. Mm-hmm. Formula One even posted a, a picture of the lap, lap by lap, the position changes. Mm-hmm. It looks like a splatter chart. I mean, <laughs> it is insane looking at it. But... All of that to say there is one statistic that makes the Chinese Grand Prix highly unique. And given the number of position changes, accidents, and and the safety cars and all of that, it makes it almost improbable that it happened. Mm -hmm. It is one of seven races that have ever happened where all the cars that started finished. That is historic. Yeah. There has been, and they went through all the, the different races that it happened in, but there, there's only been a, one year that's had more than one of those. Now, they almost didn't pull that off because Grosjean was pushing the team to get him, let him retire the car at one point because he was frustrated with the car. But they didn't retire it, so all drivers that started finished that race, which is so rare. And this, in, in, in a way, this is kind of an argument against you, though, because, again, going back to Gary Anderson's comments mm-hmm. and, and several other folks, they've turned around and they've said what we saw that weekend is essentially what would happen if they ran a reverse grid, especially after the safety car. Because of the way the pits worked out, with the exception of Nico Rosberg, who stayed up in the front, the slower cars all ended up towards the front. I mean, you had Pascal Verline at one point who was running in fourth. He didn't stay there for very long. <laughs> but he was he up was in going, fourth. Woo-hoo! Yeah. <laughs> he, and he started back with Lewis. Mm-hmm. But the fast cars ended up in the back because most of them pitted. The slower cars ended up in the front because they didn't pit. And come lap 20 or 21, everything sifted out. And... We ended up with a race with what essentially was a reverse grid, and everybody survived. And you ended up with Vettel and Kvyat on the podium. I don't, I don't think it's a convincing argument for it, but that's the argument is that this was essentially 
a race with a reverse grid. Well, I understand that. I'm following the logic that you're saying. I think that my concern is that there were so many unusual things about this race, including the fact that we made it to the end with all our cars Mm -hmm. that started. I think that it almost makes it, okay, yes, we had a reverse grid, but is this what would really happen if you had one consistently? I'm not sure it is, but the, but this is the the you know the first time that anybody's actually seen what it could look like and how it could play out, and arguably this was one of the best races in a very long time because there was so much going on. Again, how often do you have a Formula One race that has so much going on that for the first twenty some odd laps you could confuse it with a horse race? Oh. I mean that 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 much yes. action sustained for as long as it was is almost unheard of. Oh, completely. And I agree to a point, and I will admit bias on why I have an issue. Okay. Okay. My issue is I still believe in this concept that the best drivers and the best cars wind up on the podium. Mm-hmm. And you cannot, in good conscience, tell me that the best drivers and the in the best cars, all of them ended up on the podium. No, because Lewis ended up all the way back, and, and Kimi ended up. All, however, Kvyat did run a fantastic race. You know, he ended up, with that interest, well, I don't. I, I hesitate to say dive bomb move, or as Seb would say, his torpedo move. And you know what? We might as well do the replay because I'm sure most people have already heard it, but it's worth replaying anyway. The confrontation in the drivers' room post race between Seb and, and Daniel Kvyat. You asking what happened at the start? If I don't go to the left, you crash into us and we all three go out. Well, I was. No, there. not well. You came, I came like a torpedo. Well, it's racing. I'm racing, but you know, if I keep going the same line, you well, crash. Don't, don't keep going. Yeah, but there was a car on the left also. Well, That's so why I, I hit the see, other I car. I can yeah. see all the three cars, man. Come on. I have only two eyes. Well, two cars. You would crash if you do like that. But we didn't. So. Yeah, you didn't. Yeah. Oh. No, it's racing, right? You need to expect when you attack like you're crazy and you damage a car. You were lucky this time. Well, I damaged and Kimi damaged. I'm on the podium, so it's okay. You're on the podium. Fine. The reality is Seb left an opening. And Kvyat took the opening. And Seb, Seb had to back out. Unfortunately... Kimmy, who had already run off the track, decided that that was the point to dive bomb back in on the other side. That's not Kvyat's fault. No, no. Kimmy's ill timing is not Kvyat's fault. You know what that sounded like? And I know this is going to sound like a strange conversation, but Seb starting to sound like Nikki Lauda. A lot of people have likened it to... Um, I guess there was a confrontation between 
Senna and Schumacher at one point over aggressive behavior, and Schumacher has been known to have similar com- confrontations with other drivers throughout his career over what they saw as aggressive behavior. Mm. And yeah, in a way, I get Seb wanting to argue about it, and and Seb has since backed down on his comments. He has said that you know, in, in reviewing it and actually seeing what went on and, and especially the overhead it, Danny wasn't nearly as in the wrong as I I thought at first oh so he he has taken a step back since this has happened mm-hmm. there is some discussion that you know possibly some of this w- was done for show I mean this was Ferraris banging into Ferraris and not it, it's not only a sin if teammates crash into each other but for a Ferrari to crash into each other. <laughs> and then for a Ferrari to crash into each other in front of the boss. Yeah. It you know, not not that Seb's position is in remotely in danger. Not like Kimmy's. Yeah. But there there's some thought that, that some of what Seb was saying was done for the cameras and for the show and for the boss. Well, I can understand that. I mean that's a little CYA action going on. But it it just it had that that sound of you got lucky this time that's that's not safe you know you can't showboat out there this you, you could have taken everybody out but to be honest with you if the car, the positions were reversed seb would have and done said that had that line i think seb would have taken it oh yeah so moving on even though we it's jumped ahead cuz seb didn't did, seb was the recipient not the the person. Yeah. So moving on, even mm-hmm. though we, we've jumped ahead a little bit. So Sorry, things are going to be a little out of order. Um, some word from Team Banana. How is Team Banana? Um, they're not doing very good. Um, Slipping on their bananas? Well, basically Cyril Abitbull has declared the Chinese Grand Prix to be a disaster. Kevin Magnuson finished 17th. Jolian Palma finished 22nd. Ouch. Yeah. Um, they say they don't have any excuses. Um, Sir Labitbull says that right now we need to focus on the car and there is no excuse to find. Right now the best line is because we started late and it's a car that was designed for a Mercedes engine, but that is absolutely no excuse for the lack of progress from that point onwards. We cannot be complacent about the fact that we are just happy to be here and that we have a lot of excuses because we came into late into this. No, no excuse. We have no excuse for what we did on the engine, and today we have no excuse for what we are what we're doing on the chassis. So let's look forward. Mm. And arguably, when you have um, Daniel Kvyat end up in third place right. with essentially the same engine, something else is going on here. Well. We know that the arrow is very different, and mm-hmm. we know Red Bull has got great arrow. So, I mean, that's got to be where they're losing ground. Now, Force India and their anti- you know, we, we talked a little bit about uh, Nico Hulkenberg, who ended up getting a penalty for driving excessively slowly <laughs> because he was trying to back everything up. Somehow he knew that they were double stacking, and to give some clearance to, to his team, Mm-hmm. which is why we saw Vettel make his little jump around. Carlos Sainz turned around and said that, that when he re- as soon as he realized what was going on, he was going to do the same thing, but Seb was already there. Yeah. 
So, yeah, a lot of people said, well, you know, great to set, but you're driving with his head. It's just a matter of who saw it first. Yeah. So, but uh, Force India also has not done very well. Um, eventually, uh, President Hulkenberg 11th, ended up in 11th and 15th. Um, Force India insists, especially after their strong showing at the end of last season, that they've just been unlucky so far. It's all this is. It's not a matter over the financial stylings of Vijay Malia and that Sahara has no money, but the name is still on the car or any of the other stuff that's going on around them. They've just been unlucky. That That's what they admit. All righty. So. Now, can I tell you briefly for a second? Because I don't think you have Mercedes in their, your lineup here. Not really. Lewis, while not getting a podium, drove a pretty amazing race. He did, although you got to wonder. And, and when we saw them line up for the race, I was wondering about this to begin with. Okay, so they pull. First off, you got to assume that the gearbox issue that caused him to get the five-place penalty in the first place was due to his clutch and start issues, which mm-hmm. he said, by the way, he had a good start this race. But, you know, we don't know that because he was all the way down the back. Right. Um, so they did that. Then they, because of how crappy everything worked in qualifying, they pulled his engine, which put him all the way down at the back of the grid. Well, he was going to be at the back of the grid already. So they had, it, they yeah. took an opportunity. He was already going to be last. So might as well swap the engine. You might as well and, do all of those yeah. other pieces while you're there. At least set him up for the right things for the next race. But in all the pandemonium and chaos that happened at turn one, Lewis gets hit by I believe it was it was one of the um, of the Salvers. I think it was uh, Nasser. Mm-hmm. I, I don't recall, but I think it was Nasser that hit him, which of course damaged his floor and caused enough damage that he couldn't completely survive. He he couldn't gain enough to get in, on, into a podium position. Right. However, you've got to wonder. Okay, you swapped out the engine, which means you're at the back of the grid. Which, by the way, not only are you at the back of the grid, but you get an option. You can either start at the back of the grid, or you can start from the pit lane. Right. If he had chosen to start at the back, start from the pit lane as opposed to the back of the grid, that means he would have joined the pack about a second to a second and a half after the last car. Which means he would have hit turn one behind the chaos and the pandemonium it could have completely changed the race for him it it could have especially when you look at at that point he could have probably made it through that first lap without any damage then you have the safety car that brought pascal verline up into fourth Mm -hmm. he probably would have been in fifth at that point if he didn't pit right and that probably would have given him the race. It definitely could have. I mean, you, you make a great argument. Um, but you have a choice, and they made a choice. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's a hard decision because do, do you start on the grid or do you automatically hand yourself a second-and-a-half penalty that you've got to recover from? Mm-hmm. Granted, it's easier to recover earlier in a race than it is – you know, lap 30 or 40 to, to all of a sudden have to add, oh, a second or two. Oh, yeah. I mean, we could play armchair uh, quarterback and woulda, coulda, shoulda all day long on it. I still 
say he had some incredibly good passes. Yeah. And watching him do what Lewis does really well, which is reel somebody in and dart around them. I mean, it was fun to watch And that. he did it in a few areas that are not known as traditional passing zones in China. Right. You know, the, some of these were Verstappen-type passes. <laughs> Perhaps, you know, a little Max is rubbing off on him. So for the first time this season, driver of the day was not won by Roman Grosjean. I know. Danny Kvyat gets driver of the day, whatever that ends up meaning towards the end of the season. I think Congratulations. It's like, yeah, I, I, I think Bernie might buy him dinner. Probably not, though, because the drivers never pay. I know. So. <laughs> I'm going to take you out to dinner, but I expect you to pay, or I'm going to bitch that you don't pay. Really? <laughs> now, in response to the performance at China with uh, Daniel Ricciardo en- ending up in second after qualifying, not being able to hold on to it, mm-hmm. but ending up in second and, and briefly having the lead because he had a great start coming at coming out of there and Danny Kvyat ending up on the podium um Ferrari has come out and said that um see this is why we didn't give them an engine (laughs) yeah with a second rate engine this is what they can do what could you imagine they could do with a Ferrari or Mercedes engine and I think it really bears watching as we close in on Montreal which is when the next power unit upgrade is supposed to be coming to at least Red Bull's side of the garage, it should be very interesting to see what these cars are doing, considering what we've seen so far. Because these have not been the back-of-the-grid cars that Christian Horner was priming everybody that they would be. And as a matter of fact, what we're kind of seeing with these cars is, I think, what everybody expected to see with them last year. Yeah. And what we expected to be coming out of the Toro Rosso's is kind of what we expected them to be doing last year. Right, exactly. Despite everybody jumping up and down and saying, oh, this 2015 engine is so great that they're getting, and it's still a 2015 engine. Mm-hmm. Without upgrades. Yeah. And it's not getting any more upgraded. So Bernie got himself into a little trouble this week. Oh, did he eat some toe jam? Um, what Bernie said, what everybody latched onto, that's the key piece here. Okay. Is that everybody latched onto a comment Bernie made that – that female driver, a female driver who came into Formula One would not be taken seriously and that they are not physically able to drive a car fast. Now, I'm going to withhold reaction because you've primed me that there is a second part of this. But on that alone, could I smack his head, please? Well, there's a lot of people who wanted to. Susie Wolf, of all people, actually came out and defended Bernie. Because it seems that Bernie has, you know, she's got her, I think it's Dare to Be Different or Be Different, her foundation to improve uh, participation in motorsports from women. Right. He's been a big supporter of this foundation. Hmm. And apparently a lot of money and other stuff to do that. Okay. So how does that jive with this idea that they won't be as fast and that they won't be taken seriously? Well, when asked further to elaborate from some other news organizations, what Bernie had to say was, whatever she wants to do, we will try and support it. Let me be clear. I would love to see a woman driver in Formula One. 
absolutely 100%. And right there, you know that's definitely Bernie because he throws in that absolutely. And yeah, so absolutely 100%. I was asked on stage by Martin Sorrell, who was the interviewer who these comments came from. He was asked on stage by Martin Sorrell if by chance there was a sponsor out there that wanted to put $100 million into a team, providing it had two woman drivers, what would you say to that? I said I'd be very happy and I'd give another $20 million to make it happen. But people forget to print those things. Thank God I don't take a lot of notice. Hmm. Now, based on that and the full question there, I could very much see Bernie then turning around and saying, but those women wouldn't be taken seriously. And because in all they honestly, were paid for that position. He's 100% right. Absolutely 100%? I, I, I think so. From, from, from the perspective of somebody turned around and said, the only way I'm going to go and, fu- and fund this team and bring this team in is if it has two women. So find me two women, period, the end. That's not a woman who's earned their way into the sport. And, and that's the key difference. And that is fundamentally what Susie is promoting right. and promoting. Pro- proposing for her dare to be different and her her piece of women in motorsport because every time you hear Susie talk about women in motorsport she talks greatly about the fact that the car itself is the great great equalizer that women can perform but they need the opportunities to perform at this level I mean she's obviously proven that there's a place for women to come up and that they can have those opportunities, but there needs to be more of them and a little less narrow-mindedness that they can only go so far. Now, he, he goes on to talk about what he has done. He says, I've offered more help than many others have done for women in Formula One, and I still do. All the other people do is talk and do nothing. For any woman that wants to be in Formula One and has the talent, I would try and speak to the teams and get a drive for them. However, he also recognizes that talent alone is not often enough these days to secure a seat in Formula One because drivers often need considerable financial backing, and we've seen that quite Mm -hmm. a bit. Now, asked if he thought any particular female drivers at present had F1 potential, Eccleston replied, I don't know. You've got to see somebody, like Susie, if you like, who has driven in a Formula One car, even if only in testing and practice. At least then you would get some idea. Obviously, people saw her and formed an impression. If they thought she could get the job done and she was someone they wanted, then they would probably have contacted her. But for any driver, not just women drivers, a lot of the problems are to do with funding and not simply about whether they have the talent. Again, he's right there. He really is. It is about being able to get the right dollars in the right person's hand. But if the sole reason you're going to put a woman... And I think this is what Susie wants to make sure that people do. The sole reason you're putting a woman driver in the seat is because she's a woman driver. You're not doing it the right way. They haven't earned the spot. Well, that's the thing is I have not heard for all the press that Danica Patrick gets. Mm -hmm. She gets a lot of press and, and she has figured out a way to work it so that she gets press. For all the press that she gets, 
even her, I don't think that there is a single female driver anywhere in motorsport. And there are quite a few who are successful. There are any female driver in motorsport that right now has a reputation of somebody like Pascal Verlein or Stoffel Van Dorn or some of these other drivers that are waiting in the wings to get into Formula One. I think if there was a female who had that kind of a reputation, you would see a bigger push to get them into the sport. But I don't think there is a driver like that. Well, that's where the that's where the push to get women to be competing in some of these lesser formulas so that they can get the sh- their stripes mm-hmm. so that they can start to move up i mean you know that the right person that's competing in gp2 would be on the short list because they could get that reputation but you've got to get them in karting and you've got to get them in the european circuit and if you don't start feeding girls there we're gonna you know the girl starting karting today is 20 years out from being in formula but, but One. there are a few that are in the pipeline and have been in the pipeline and just have not really set anything on fire a perfect example is carmen jorda yeah Carmen Jorda, who at this point, she's just listed as, I believe, a brand ambassador. For, she's not even a test driver. She's not anymore. even a test driver. She, and I didn't even realize this. It was a discussion I was having with somebody else. We were, we were talking about some things, and I went and I looked up to try and get some more info about her. She hasn't, her, her last drive in an open wheel series uh, that, that's considered a feeder for Formula One was two years ago in GP3. Mm-hmm. where she finished in, like, 19th. She's driven in LMP, so the Le Mans cars. She's driven in that series. She's been in Indy Lights. She's been in several of these other series, and she's always finished in, like, the bottom five. It's going And to, that's the problem. It is going to be an exceptional woman driver. Mm-hmm. It, quite frankly, to be very blunt... If Susie Wolf can't get a drive and considering who Susie's married to, the power yeah. that her last name holds, the fact that she did get a test and development drive but couldn't convert it because of whatever reason. Mm-hmm. If she can't do it, you've got to think about what it's going to take for someone to supersede that. It's going to be a once- an amazing woman driver. She can't be at the back of the pack. You know, She's got to be competing with the big boys. She's got to be the female Lewis. To, to be honest with you, I think her relationship with Toto and Toto's relationship at time with the team was a, a double-edged sword for her. Mm-hmm. It, no matter how much Toto wants to say otherwise, I believe that that's what got the notice of the team was him. He was the one who drove it and at least got her that test and development position with them. I think that's what got her foot in the door. But I think it then cut the other way, and as long as he had any kind of affiliation with the team, no matter how well she did, and, and short of consistently being able to beat Massa and, and Botus's times, she didn't have a prayer. Right. Just because of the simple fact that Toto still had an association with the team, and it was going to be read as nepotism. Well, and that that even if it that's did the get strike her in against her, it's yeah. the same thing as I'm going to pay somebody a hundred million dollars to put two women in in seats. 
it, it's the same concept. You know, everyone will always question, was she there on merit or was she there because she's a wolf? But, you know, you also look at some of her other contemporaries that came up through the junior formulas and made it into F1 about the same time. I mean, you, you had folks like um, Daniel Ricardo and John Eric Fern. You had folks like Roman Grosjean who went down into the junior formulas and came back up. And yes, I'm going to bring him up. Say what you will about his racecraft. Even Pastor Maldonado came up in that general time frame because he won his series. Correct. Even though his racecraft sucked. Well, yeah, but he still won his series. So... So and, yeah. and and Susie never performed to that level. And that's that's something else to say. Now, before we get off of Susie, okay. Can I just tell you I love to listen to that woman speak? <laughs> there is no one in this world Channel other than four. possibly James Earl Jones himself that has a better voice than Susie Wolf. Channel 4 have her on more cuz that was oh. awesome. She has got a beautiful voice. And really want to see her get into a some kind of a post-race question throwdown with Toto. She oh. was there. She was quiet. She really didn't have much to say. Really want to see that throwdown. Why didn't you guys do this? It just makes no sense. Um, it, w- it was rather interesting, you know, j- just to loop back to Susie and some of the qualifying. You know, she... Yes, she she still has some very uh, unprecedented access to both Williams and Mercedes because of her connection with the two. However, they did a talk about the steering wheels, and Susie, for the first time, got her hands on a Red Bull steering wheel. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. Yes, but that was very cool to to see her her do that, too. I just want to know what she texts Toto during the races, personally. (laughs) <laughs> so moving on Bernie has been speaking a bit more okay um, Bernie says that he wants six races in the US and a 25 race F1 calendar this is at that same meeting okay okay um, he said they really and truly need at least six however he indicated that the race in New Jersey is not happening which I think we've kind of figured that out by now. Um, He does say that uh, in the end, we probably could do 25 races, but that the problem that restricts it is the teams because at the moment the staff's all on the limit, so we have to be careful. Well, the teams have said that they pretty much can't handle financially or staff-wise anything more than 21. Yeah. Because that really does take those mechanics and the people that have to travel for all of those races. Forget the drivers. I mean, that's their job. Yeah. But the mechanics, they work all winter long to get ready for this thing. And then they're away for March to November. That's rough on their lives. Yeah, and I, I don't quite understand, given the presence of F1 in the U.S., why six races? Honestly, it would make better sense to me, knowing what I, what we have seen of the fan bases, for Japan to get a second race <laughs> than for the U.S. to get three races, let alone six. 
I mean, I can see that he wants to have a greater presence in the Americas, but I would think that spreading it around a little bit, maybe a second Canadian race on the West Coast, uh, maybe a second U.S. race. I mean, we're big countries. I can handle that. Yeah. A second. I could get that. You know, we go down to Brazil, but why not Argentina? I mean... Well, they were in Argentina. They pulled out. What he has also said is um, he wants to see F1's return to South Africa. Uh, F1 has raced at, and I, I'm not sure how to pronounce it. I believe it's Kyalami. Okay. Um, they have raced down there at the track. Herman Tilke has been involved in the rebuilding that's going on. Um, it has not res- the tr- The current plans do not have grade one certification, which is needed to host F1. But there has been talk about that. Um, Anthony Edwards, which is uh, not Edwards, um, Anthony Hamilton, Lewis's father. Big difference. <laughs> I was like, the actor from ER? No, Anthony <laughs> Hamilton, Lewis's father, um, is said to be involved in some respect um, with the rebuilding of that the South Africa track and attracting Formula One down there. I don't know how far advanced that is. Bernie obviously has an interest in it, um, but he also reiterated his view that Formula One does not need to retain races in Europe, including the German Grand Prix, which is on the calendar this year. We don't know about next year. Now, what he has to say is, I was told there couldn't be a Formula One without the French Grand Prix. Still going, no French Grand Prix. I wish we had a French Grand Prix, and I hope we continue having a German Grand Prix. Now, he but said he, that about the French Grand Prix a lot. Yeah. Well, that was, I think, the first European race that was dropped. Mm. And people were, were, you know, in shock that they lost the race. So Lewis has come out this week, besides talking about the, 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 the dinner and how ridiculous it was. Um, he says that he does not feel he owes anything to Formula One and he rec- as he reckons that no other driver works harder to promote the sport than him. I would say that he's pretty out there and he's that superstar playboy that Bernie loves to have out there doing the thing. I mean, he does it. I'm not sure that that means that he doesn't owe anything to Formula One. He still is. I mean, he's still that once-in-a-lifetime driver, so you... you you owe him yeah. something. Um, and honestly, I think the reason why he promotes it is because he loves it. He says, I've been there for 10 years. I love the sport. I've given my blood, sweat, and tears for the sport. So he doesn't feel like he owes it anything. And, and yeah, I could agree that. You've paid that back in spades. Right. Um, but he's also turned around and, and asked about the regulations He and how much of a say the driver said. He said, I would say very little, very, very little. Ultimately, sports, business, it's money and power. We would say stuff, but ultimately, it's those people who sit in a chair, striking a pen, paying checks, making money that will be the ones that make the decisions. I don't think that there is a fault. I didn't say it was wrong. It's a corporate business, and money is the power, money is the ruler, and the people who own the sport make the decisions. When asked if he would like to have more of a say in F1 rules, he said, not really. It doesn't make any difference. Well, so, I think he's a driver's driver, truly. Yeah. I go out there, I drive the car, you know, let me do let me do my thing. In a way, that's almost a Kimmy response. In a way, it kind of is. So speaking of rules. Okay. And 
Formula One has approved finally the test plan that Pirelli wants for the 2017 tires. You mean they're going to test them? They are, um, and that includes an increase in testing days this year, effective immediately. Yay. Um, That means that, um, for starters, teams will be prepping 2015 cars with anticipated 2017 downforce so that they can start running tires on it and start seeing what they look like and how that's going to handle and how that will perform. Pirelli has been granted 25 days of tire testing. Wow. I believe every year until 2018, they will get 25 days of tire testing. Wow. Now, that being said, I don't think there's been a contract that's been signed for their tire supply for next year. However, this plan has been approved. Okay. Okay. Um, Pirelli has said that they have come out and tried some concept tires for 2017 already. They've used GP2 cars. Okay. Not sure why GP2, but I guess it was something to get out there that keeps them from, you know, getting in trouble with the rules. Well, maybe they can increase their 25 days by using different cars. But we're still trying to sort out the 2017 rules. And Toto Wolf has come forward and said that, you know, take a look at these three races this season and how mixed up it's been and how close everything has been. We don't need to change anything. We have said that the longer you keep the format in place and you keep the rules in place, things will start to converge. People will figure out what they've screwed up, and the performance will get better, the racing will get better, and everything, the grid will get closer. And just look at this year for exactly that. Okay, so he's got a point. So that's what he says. Helmet Marco over at... Uh, Red Bull says that uh, Paranoid Total Wolf is blocking 2017 regulation changes. <laughs> <laughs> I want change. I want change. Because Toto says no. Helmet says that Toto is afraid that they will lose their dominance. Well, it's a risk. It's always a risk. And guess what? We've been talking about this for since Seb was winning. Mm-hmm. You know, when Red Bull was on top, they didn't want to make a change. The, the bigger issue I have, and, and I think this is probably more of why Toto is fighting the regulations or skeptical of the regulations and making the change, is it was very expensive, and Mercedes plunked, and, and a lot of the teams plunked a lot of money down to develop cars and build cars for these regulations that were supposed to be in place until 2020. Right. They were amortizing that cost over exactly. those years. So to cut it three years short is really expensive. And then to completely re-engineer the cars for these new rules. And oh, by the way, to do it now with less than a year before the start of the season. Right. It just, that part makes no sense to me. It, I, I think it's crazy. I really do. I think everybody went into this agreeing to 2020 would be the change point. And to change out at this point, I think, is not fair. I think that's not sporting in the regulation process. Now, that being said, it appears that they're set to agree on the changes for 2017. <sighs> so here, here's what we're looking at. Um, for engines, when it comes to cost, currently customer engine prices range from about 18 to 23 million euros will be reduced by each manufacturer by 1 million euros in 2017 and then come down to a fixed 12 million euros from 2018. 
There is a proposal to cut the number of permitted engines per driver per season to three from five this year. That's a stupid regulation. Um, the original target for performance was no more than 2% disparity across all the engines. Mercedes and Ferrari are already there. But it was realized that as power outputs met up with development, um, a percentage meant the actual divergence would increase. So instead, it will be judged early in a 2017 season on a lap time difference of 0.3 seconds. Um, and this is going to be on a reference circuit. So for noise, um, this is a difficult task as by definition noise is wasted energy. And the whole point of the hybrid engines is to regenerate as much of what would traditionally be wasted energy as possible. But there is, quote, some promising stuff going on, according to insiders, with details to be released soon. Obligation to supply. Oh. This came about because of the situation Red Bull created for themselves last season when they tried and failed to drop Renault and persuade Mercedes or Ferrari to supply them. Obligation to supply is not the same as the right for a team to demand any engine they want. Manufacturers have agreed to formally enshrine the concept that they all ensure that no team can be without an engine. Um, it is not actually possible for Red Bull to find itself without an engine. Um, that being said, Mercedes won't supply them. Ferrari are unlikely to. Um, but Renault's new contract with F1, which it signed when it committed to buying Lotus last autumn, commits the French manufacturer to supply another team if requested. Mm. So if, based on that, if Toro Rosso decides that, yeah, we don't want another late model Ferrari, this sounds like they can look at Renault and say, give us an engine, man. Well, it does. The hybrid engines are staying. Um, when it comes to tires, uh, what we know, we, like we said, that, that there's an increase in testing. Tire degradation, degradation should be proportional to performance. So the less grippy a tire is, the longer it will run before it starts to degrade. And when a car is closely following another's, its tires should not degrade to the extent their performance cannot be recovered. Okay. So the FIA feels that these requirements will guarantee Pirelli has to produce a product more like what would be considered a normal racing tire, one on which the requirement for management by driving under the limit to control thermal degradation is greatly reduced and drivers can therefore push hard throughout a race. Um, also talk about faster and more dramatic cars. Okay. Um, key aspects, wider cars with track, that's the distance between the outside edges of the tires increasing from 1,800 millimeters to 2,000 millimeters, which is the same dimensions as cars until 1997, and wider bodywork. There'll be a wider front wing and a lower, wider rear wing, a greater proportion of total downforce created by the underfloor, and wider tires to increase mechanical grip. Okay. So we shall see. Good summary of the rule changes. And in the final piece. Okay. There has been extensions, a five-year extension signed to the contract for the Hungarian Grand Prix, guaranteeing that it will remain on the calendar for at least another 10 years. Yay! There you go. <laughs> <laughs> and that is all we've got this week. Truly, that's all we've got. So next week leading into uh, – we'll be coming up on the 
early Russian Grand Prix. Yes, you know, much earlier in the season than it had been. The, the, the previous two races, this is the third running of the race, previous two races were late summer, early early fall. Uh, but now this will be, the for at least this year, the final of the flyaway races before we go back to Europe and we really start seeing the, uh, the modifications start happening to the car. Uh, I'm wondering if the weather be, will be that much different. Will it be cooler? Will that have an impact on performance? You know, this is a race that's been a mixed bag. The first one was kind of dull and boring. Mm-hmm. And then last year was pretty good. Yeah. So, well, third time's charm. We'll see what happens this year. I mean, I think there's been enough shakeups across the grid this year so far that it could be very, very interesting. Because, of course, Lewis really needs to start challenging Nico if he's going to have a hope of actually fighting for the fourth world championship. And, you know, if that race is boring, we had last week uh, the Grand Prix of Long Beach at IndyCar, and this week is a Grand Prix down at Barber Motorsports Park. In Alabama. So we will see what happens. Maybe one of those will be better if Sochi's not that great. That would be <laughs> awesome. But, of course, we would need to have the, you know, we need to actually watch those to keep up with what's going on yeah, in the Indy series. Yeah, we didn't series. watch them either. We were so focused on Formula One and the great weather that we didn't do anything else last weekend. So. I know, but the weather was fantastic. So anyway, just a reminder, we'd love to hear from you over on the, the Facebook page or leave a comment over, over at uh, com. Haven't seen any reviews in a while for this show, so go ahead and do that over on iTunes or uh, over on Stitcher. Mm. But uh, on that, I think it's time to cue Barbie. We are so glad you came. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye now. Bye. Bye-bye. Remember, please discard all candy wrappers and popcorn containers in the nearest trash receptacle. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> okay. Are they all gone? Uh, is, is, there, is everybody gone? <laughs> huh? Good. Oh my gosh, my cheeks are killing me. I can't keep smiling like this anymore. I am exhausted. I think I need a break. A little break? Okay.